Tonight, I'm not going to deal with the story of Pentecost. I'm going to deal with something else. Sunday nights, I like to deal more practically about some principles and how to live. And so um, that's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to take a story. If you know anything about my preaching, that's very common of me to take a story and bring out, bring stuff out of the story to see how it relates to your life. Now, you may not like that method of preaching, but um, I guess I preach the way I like to hear sermons. So, <laughs> so anyway, so, but that's what I'm going to do tonight. Is that all right with you? And so um, we're going to look at a familiar passage of story, a story tonight. If you're taking notes, uh, that's fine. If you're not taking notes, that's perfectly fine. I'm usually not a note taker in church um, just because I, you know, I get distracted easily. But, but if you're taking notes, that's good. If not, that's good because it's behind me on the screen. So, all right. And you, then you can go back and listen to it later. So you've got the best of both worlds. Can I hear an amen? So, um, so but anyway, so let's just look at this story tonight. We're going to look at the story of Saul, Saul in the New Testament. And I'm going to read it to you from Acts chapter 9 and verse number 1. And guess what? I'm going to give it off to you. You don't have to stand up tonight, all right? I'm just, you can sit right there. You've been standing a long time. So let's just read it from verse 1 through 9. Um, then Saul, still breathing, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked letters from him, to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any on the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone round, around him from heaven. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, and he said Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the groans. So trembling and astonished, he said, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go down to the city which you are told, and there I'll tell you what to do. Then the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, neither ate nor did he drink. Um, verse number 10, I don't know if they have that. We'll go down to verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here am I, Lord. And so the Lord said to him, Arise and go down to the street called Straight. And inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered and said, Lord, I have heard many things about this man, of how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And there he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias went his way and entered the house, laying hands on him, said to him, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you as you came, has sent me that ye might receive your sight and that ye might be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately 
there fell from his eyes something like scales, received his sight at once, and arose, and he was baptized. And so when he received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Tonight, for a few moments, I want to preach on the thought, the tale of the two Sauls. A tale of the two Sauls. Say that with me. A tale of the two Sauls. Lord, add the blessing to the preacher, because your word's already anointed. Help me, Lord, to preach only what you want me to say. Help me to say it with boldness, with clarity, and let all of our hearts be open to hear, including my heart, what you want to speak to us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. It's interesting to me, like I said this morning, but I think it's noteworthy to say it again, that Old Testament contained is New Testament explained. It's interesting to me that when you read the New Testament, you start to see symbols, or excuse me, when you read the Old Testament, you start to see symbols, you start to see types and shadows of things to come. You actually see Jesus in all the pages of the Old Testament. Jesus is the main hero of the Bible. The Old Testament tells us that Jesus is coming, right? The Gospels tell us that he is here. The epistles tell us how to live. And the book of Revelation tells us he's coming back again. The Bible is not that difficult. I think sometimes we make it difficult. And yes, there are sections in the Bible that I would agree with you. It seems very boring. But I have learned one thing, and I'm sure that you've learned it too, and we both can testify that if you believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God, that means the Bible has power. It is the spoken Word of God. It's living and active. So even when you don't understand it, I believe it's still profitable. Let me say that again. Even when you don't understand it, it is still profitable. Say that with me. Even when I don't understand it, it is still profitable. It's still profitable even when I don't understand it. It's interesting to me that when I read the Old Testament, you'll see types and shadows of not only Jesus, but you also see types and shadows of other people. And in the Old Testament, I'm sure all of us have read stories of Saul, King Saul. And King Saul was one of the first kings of Israel. Now, you know that the scripture is clear that it really wasn't God's plan for Israel to have a king. But Israel wanted to be like every other nation, right? And they cried out for a king. And so God granted their request and gave them a king. Now, it didn't really turn out the way the people of God anticipated. Yes, the Bible says that Saul was tall and Saul was handsome. The Bible says that he had the looks, but he didn't necessarily have the, the character that went with it. He was blessed with the gift of good looks, but he didn't really have the character to sustain the kingdom. And you know, it got so bad that David had to go sing and play the harp because Saul was so vexed by demonic spirits. He was so depressed and so vexed. So it really didn't turn out the way the people of God anticipated. But God always had a plan. God, God is never without a plan. And even when we mess up our plan, God always still has a plan. And even though it wasn't God's will for Israel to have a king, God still loved him. He still demonstrated grace to him. And he still brought someone to the kingdom like David. David was a king, a man after God's own heart. 
and David promoted peace and justice in the kingdom. And that is why when you read the scriptures, Jesus is referred to someone that will set upon the throne of David. Because even now, Israel look back. They look back to the kingdom of, of, of David. When David ruled Israel, that was a time of peace and prosperity for the kingdom. That was a time of where David led with a heart for God. And the kingdom was righteous and upright before God. Saul, however, wasn't the man that he needed to be. And, but I want you to see that really in the pages of the scripture, you can see yourself in Saul. Now, I, I know we don't like to hear that, and I don't really like to see it, but you can actually see yourself in Saul. But the story don't end there, because I believe there's, Saul is a type and shadow of something to come in the New Testament. With that being said, I believe that there are two Sauls in the Bible. And these two Sauls represent us tonight. And I want you just for a few moments to think about what type of Saul I am. Now, hopefully you're the right Saul, but do some spiritual evaluation of your heart and look at it. What type of Saul am I? The tell of two Sauls. Let's look at it. Number one, you'll see that the Saul of the Old Testament, the Saul of the Old Testament, you know, he was always running after David. Is that right? He was always running after David. He was always after to murder him. But also Saul of the New Testament in the book of Acts, he was the one that went to Damascus to catch Christians. Do you see the parallel? So you see the one Saul of the Old Testament running to catch David because he was jealous. And the Saul that we just read in the New Testament went to Damascus to catch Christians. Do you see the similarities between the two Sauls? If you see the similarities between the two Sauls, can you just wave your hand a little bit? Say, Pastor, I see that. Now I want you to see another similarity. One Saul in the... Um, in the Old Testament, he became naked. And you know, that's another story. Uh, remember, Saul wasn't always the man of God here. So one time the scripture says he was naked. But yet the Saul of the New Testament, according to the scripture of Acts chapter 9, this Saul was blind. So do you see the similarities and the differences between these two Sauls? Let's continue to go on about the differences with these Sauls. One Saul of the Old Testament, the Saul of the Old Testament felt remorse. Many times when you read the story of the, of, of the Saul of the Old Testament, he was remorseful. And I remember a couple months ago when I was reading the story of David, uh, he, would, he would try to kill David, and then all of a sudden he would, uh, next, next side, slide please, uh, he, he, would, he would feel remorseful, and he was upset that he tried to kill David, and then he would never repent. But the Saul of the New Testament would repent. One had remorse, and the other had repentance. One Saul stopped doing bad, and the other Saul started doing good. One in the Old Testament did bad, and the other Saul of the New Testament did good. The one Saul became an apostate. He walked away from God. But the other Saul had such an experience with God, he became an apostle. So you see the similarities and the differences between these two Sauls. It kind of reminds me, do you remember, it kind of reminds me of the people of the Old Testament, the children of Seth. 
and the children of Cain. Do you remember the story of the children of Seth and the children of Cain? The children of Seth in the book of Genesis comes from a righteous line, a righteous descendant, while the children of Cain is unrighteous. Cain killed his brother Abel. And if you look at the Bible, their seed was unrighteous. Their seed was unrighteous. So the children of Seth versus the children of Cain. The Saul of the Old Testament versus the Saul of the New Testament. I hope that you see what's getting ready to happen here. You see throughout the Bible there is a typology. Are you Seth? Or are you Cain? Are you the Saul of the Old Testament or are you the Saul of the New Testament? I believe that the scripture is clear. I believe that the scripture is trying to tell us that we have two paths to decide. Do you want to go down this path or do you want to go down this path? Do you want to go down to the path of the apostate or do you want to go down the path of the apostle? Do you want to go down the path of doing bad or do you want to go to the path of doing good? Do you want to go down to the path of remorse or do you want to go down to the path of repentance? For instance, there are another two, two people in the scripture by the name of Peter and Judas. Peter had a bad day. But Judas had a bad heart. Peter repented, but Judas was remorseful. You see, I think you get the point. Over and over in Scripture, there's a parallel of two people. There is Seth and Cain. There's Judas and Peter. There's Saul and Saul. There's the two men that died on the cross with Jesus. Thief number one and thief number two. And in life, you got to make the decision, which am I? Am I Saul of the Old Testament? Am I Saul of the New Testament? Am I, am I Cain or am I Seth? You see what I'm saying? Am I Peter or am I Judas? Am I thief number one or thief number two? The thief number one mocked God and said, if you're the Christ, come down off of the cross Thief number two said, Jesus, have mercy upon me and remember me in your kingdom. You see, I think that the scripture is clear that there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is destruction. There's a path, and that is the story of our life, isn't it? That's the story of our life. The story of our life is the struggle of two people, or maybe I should say the struggle of two natures. It's the tell of two natures. It's the struggle of the flesh and the struggle of the spirit. Let me just break it down to you. The story tonight is not necessarily about Saul and Saul. It's not necessarily about Seth and Cain. It's not necessarily about Peter and Judas. It's, it's deeper than that. It's the tension between two worlds. It's, it's the tension between the Saul of my previous life and the Saul of my converted life. It's the tension of being like Seth in Genesis chapter 4 and 5 that he was righteous. And Cain, who was evil. Seth in Hebrew means substitute. Cain, unrighteous, he killed his brother. His descendants was Lamech, who started polygamy. 
on and on, his descendants were unrighteous. Seth's righteous lineage was Enoch. They called upon the name of the Lord. It's the struggle of two worlds. Seth and Cain, Saul of the Old Testament, Saul of the New Testament. It's Peter denying the Lord and repents. And Judas, who sold the Lord and did not repent, but showed emotion. It's the struggle of both worlds. It's the struggle of the two thieves on the cross, the one that mocks the Lord and the one that's repentant. And that is the struggle of life, my friends. It is the tension of two worlds. It is the struggle of two worldviews. It's the struggle of one nature versus another nature. I believe you can testify to that. There are times you, you love God. As a matter of fact, we all love God. We want to serve God. But there's that other nature we got to fight with. Am I right? We've got to fight with that other nature. It's the, it's, it's the struggle of the worldviews. It's the struggle of the tension of the two people that we got to decide. we got to decide, is it the flesh or is it the spirit? Is it the Saul of the Old Testament or the Saul of the New Testament? You know, I have prayed for a lot of people, and I'm sure you have too at altars. You, I'm sure in your lifetime you have seen people come to the front, and they've cried, and they've prayed, and they've sought the Lord, and yet they leave and they struggle. And they come back, and they pray, and pray, and they leave, and they struggle. I've known people who have had addiction problems, addiction to drugs or addiction to pornography or addiction to you name it. They love God. They want to serve God. But yet it's the tension between the Saul of the Old Testament and the Saul of the New Testament. It's a, it's a struggle between Seth and Cain. It's the struggle between Judas and Peter. It's the, it's the continual struggle day in and day out. And that's why you've got to make a decision. Because decisions determine your destiny. You have to make a decision which you will be. It's ironic to me. You say, well, pastor, I feel like I'm, <laughs> I feel like I'm both of them at one time. How many has ever felt like that before? <laughs> it's kind of like the man that said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know, sometimes it's that struggle between both of them. It's that struggle. It's the pull between both of them. I've prayed for people and they've they, they say, Pastor, I want to serve the Lord, but yet I am struggling with this. And one of the things that I tell people, and I want to tell you tonight, that if you find yourself in a tension, if you find yourself between two worlds, and you find yourself wanting to serve God, and yet there is struggle there, listen to what this preacher has to tell you tonight. There is nothing wrong with struggle as long as you're going in the right direction. I'd rather struggle as a soldier than to struggle as a slave. If you're going to struggle, make up your mind that I'm going to struggle in the right direction. If you're going to struggle, make sure you stay in the right direction. How many can just wave your hand and say, Pastor, I've been there before. I have struggled, but I refuse to give up because my future is brighter than my past. He hasn't brought me this far to leave me, and I haven't, he hasn't taught me how to swim to let me drown now. I'm going all the way.
Can I hear an amen? So it's the struggle between those two. You see, my friends, we have to make that decision. It's interesting to me, you see in Genesis chapter number 4 and verse 16, very briefly, Genesis chapter 4, verse number 16, they'll just put it up there very quickly for me if you could. It's a side scripture here, but I want you to see it. The Bible says, remember Cain went from the presence of the Lord and he dwelt in the land of Nod east of Eden. He's leaving the presence of God. Now Cain killed his brother Abel, right? And there's a mark upon Cain. He's leaving the presence of God. He's a fugitive. He's a nomad. He's struggling. He's away from the presence of God. The Bible says Cain knew his wife and she conceived. They built a city. Isn't that interesting? Building a city. Babel, they built a city. Wicked people building a city. Here's Cain building a city. It's interesting in Genesis chapter 12 that God told Abraham, I want you to leave the city and I want to show you that I'm the architect of the city. I'm going to show you a city that's not made with your hands or these hands. So get this, and that's another sermon. But he goes on, and I want you to see verse number 19. You see the lineage of Seth here, or the, excuse me, the lineage of Cain. Look at the lineage of Cain. Verse number 19, this is the descendants of Cain. Cain is evil, okay? This is the descendants of Cain. Lamech, for himself, he took two wives. This is the first mention of polygamy. So it's not going well. There is sin in the camp. Cain has left the presence of God going eastward, he has killed his brother, and his descendants are evil. You start to see, uh, you start to see Jubal. You start to see those who, uh, in their tents, you start to see, oh, verse number 21, Jubal. He's the father of all that played the harp and the flute. You start to see music. How many would agree with me that uh, music can be a dangerous thing? And it also can be a positive thing. The enemy will use music. Can I hear an amen? To get in the hearts and the souls of people. Do you see what's happening here? You see music. You see instruments. You see polygamy. The descendants of Cain. This is not going well. You also see craftsmanship in verse number 22. The work of their hands. And then it goes on. And then look at this. So you see the descendants of Cain. You see they're unrighteous. But look at verse number 25, Genesis 4, verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again. Do you see that? Knew his wife again. Now, guess what? Abel is dead. Her baby is dead. And God says, I'm going to give you another baby. So Adam and Eve conceived. She conceived and bore a son. And his name became Seth, which means substitute. Because it was through the lineage of Seth that the Messiah came. How many knows that the devil can, can't stop God's plan? He'll always raise up a substitute. For God has appointed another seed instead of Abel whom Cain killed. Now, I know this is a, Wednesday, this is a Sunday night and I shouldn't even get excited, but sometimes I just get excited. Because this is the descendants of Seth. And the descendants of Seth is righteous. Look at it, verse number 26. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and his name is Enish. These men begin to call on the name of the Lord. So you have one lineage, which is Cain, 
who is evil and unrighteous. And now you have Seth, and the descendants of Seth is righteous. And these people begin to call on the name of the Lord. And folks, I said all of this to say this. It's still the tension today. Listen to Pastor Josh. I read it to you to tell you this. We live in a culture that there is a tension between the world of Seth and the world of Cain. There's a tension tonight between the two worlds. There is a world tonight that is caught up in entertainment, that's caught up in sex, that's caught up in the entertainment of the world, that's caught up in every perverse thing you could think of. That is the children of Cain. But I'm telling you, God has raised up a substitute. And there is another lineage tonight by the name of Seth. And I know you're a part of that. And the Bible says the people of Seth, they begin to call on the name of the Lord. So as Cain is in unrighteousness, there's a group of people in Galena at 1500 East 7th Street. They're not participating in the world of Cain. They are calling on the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. The tension between two worlds. The Saul of the Old Testament. The Saul of the New Testament. There's, there's, there's Peter who has a bad day. But Judas, who has a bad heart, you have one that repents and one that's just emotional. You have a Saul who is an apostate. Now you have a Saul that is an apostle. What are you saying, Pastor? I am saying this that if you find yourself in one of those categories, if you find yourself as Saul the apostate, Saul who is doing bad, the scripture reminds me that you can change to the other Saul. If you find yourself as Judas, there's still hope tonight if you got breath because you can change to a Peter and still repent. Can somebody say, amen? If you find yourself in the lineage of Cain, if you got breath tonight, you can change and be part of the lineage of Seth. The tension between two worlds. The tension between two worlds. Peter, the Lord says, whom do men say that I am? Peter says, Lord, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood hath not revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven. But six verses later, the same Peter that had the great revelation that Jesus is the Christ, six verses later, the same Peter said to the Lord, you will not die, Lord. Jesus turns around, rebukes Peter, says, get behind me, Satan. 
Hold on. How can you be Peter who receives a revelation from the Father and six verses later be called the devil? Because it's the tension of two worlds. It's possible that you can walk in the Spirit on Sunday and on Monday have a bad day. It's possible to feel the glory of God on Sunday morning and on Thursday have a bad day. How many could raise your hand and say, Pastor, I've already experienced that. <laughs> Come on, be truthful with me. I've already and you know why I want to tell you, can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? If you find yourself in the tension of both worlds, I want to let you know that it's okay. The reason that it was written, the scriptures wasn't written to you, it was written for you. And the reason that it's here is to tell us that we're human and sometimes there's a struggle. Sometimes there's a tension. Sometimes there's a conflict. Saul, I'm almost done. Saul, Saul the apostate, Saul the apostle, Saul the king, the fallen king, Saul, the follower of Christ. It's interesting to me, he says, when I read the story, because if you're going to understand the tension between these worlds, I think there's some keys in this scripture to understand something. Because you find Saul here, he's been had this experience at Damascus. And the Bible says in Acts chapter number 9, the Bible says that when he's fallen to the ground, the Bible says, he says in verse number 5, he says, Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And I thought about this. Don't lose me. Don't lose me in your spirit. I want your spirit to catch this. Who are you, Lord? The reason I think that's important for us just to stop and think about that is because we have to learn to ask who are you before we ask what should I do. And if you're going to get victory in either world, it's just not about what should I do. You have to ask who you are. Before the commission was given to Saul to do something, he first asked the Lord, who are you? If you want to know your purpose, you have to seek his presence because God hides his purpose in his presence. God hides his purpose in his presence. Listen to me. Saul found his purpose in his struggle. He found it in his struggle. 
And the Lord said, he said, I, I'm Jesus. That's who I am. I'm Jesus. You've been kicking against the stones. You've been kicking the ground. You've, what was he doing? He was killing Christians. And we have to learn that we have to stop decapitating the Lord's body. Saul was killing the Lord's body. And we have to be very careful that even in signs and seasons of struggle that you don't kill the Lord's body. You protect the church. Protect it. I love what Grandma Beaver told me years ago, and I think Sister Raylene told me the same thing. We were having a conversation. They said, when our husbands were alive, Grandma Beaver said this, I never went home and discussed church problems with my husband because he was a sinner, and I wanted to protect the church because the church is the vehicle by which people are saved. The church is the ark of safety for people. Jesus uses the church and we should protect it. It's not perfect. The church will never be perfect. But Jesus still loves his church. Your spouse is not perfect, but you still love him anyway. And this spouse is not perfect, but it's his spouse, and he loves us. He loves us. Learn to ask who you are before what should I do. Number two, Lord, what should I do? What do you want me to do? And this is interesting. I'm almost done. I could go on and on. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Isn't it interesting that the Lord said, I want you to go to Ananias' house. And there I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Because your calling is discovered in community. Your purpose is discovered in community. God works through community. God works through diversity. God works through the church. Calling was discovered in community. Go to Ananias' house. And that is why it's important that we gather. That's why it's important that we come together because the gifts and the callings of God are discovered in community. Anointing operates by association. Because when he got to Ananias' house, Ananias laid hands on him and he received his sight. Because anointing is transferable. That is why we have the laying on of hands. Because we believe the anointing is transferable. Just like it came out of the hem of Jesus' garments. It can be transferable. That is why the Hebrew word for anointing is to smear. The Hebrew word for anointing is to smear. It's the same idea of Jezebel in the Old Testament. Remember Jezebel? She went to the loft in her house, and the Bible says she painted her face while Jehu was coming. Why did she paint her face? Because Jehu was anointed, remember? They poured oil on Jehu's head, and the Bible says that Jehu got on his horse, and he went fiercely to Jezreel. He's fiercely going to Jezreel with all types of oil spreading down his beard and his clothes. He's fiercely going to Jezreel because he's going to overthrow Jezebel. Jezebel hears of it, and what does she do? She puts her hair up, and she paints her face, and she goes out to the window, and she yells for Jehu. 
And when Jehu got there, he looked up and looked at the eunuchs, and he said, is that Jezebel? And they agreed. And what did the eunuchs do? Jehu says to the eunuchs, throw her out of the window. And they threw her out of the window. Because Jezebel is a type of false anointing. The Hebrew word for anointing is to smear. And that's exactly what Jezebel did. She smeared makeup on her. That was a type of false anointing. She was smearing something false to manipulate and to deceive Jehu. But Jehu had the correct anointing. He had the right oil on him. And right anointing, the fruit of a right anointing is discernment. He discerned who Jezebel was. Is this all right on a Sunday night? So, God, your calling is discovered in community. God will lead you to the right place before he will bring the right people. God calls people to places before he puts people in your path. Abraham, get up and go to a country. Go to a place. Abraham, go to Mount Moriah. Go to a place, and then I'll show you what to do. There I'll provide the lamb. For, go to the place. Sometimes he will tell you to go to a place before he brings the right people into the place. And he was supposed, what did Saul do? Go to a street called Straight. Go to a place. And there you're going to find Ananias. Go to the place first. Instead of telling Saul what to do, Jesus told him where to go. Jesus told him where to go instead of telling Saul what to do. Jesus never told Saul what to do. He told him where to go because God will guide you to the right place before he connects you to the right people. I'm going to say that again. God will guide you to the right place before he connects you with the right people. I'm going to say it one more time. God will guide you to the right place before he connects you to the right people. If you are in the right place and you haven't met the right people, be patient because they will come. Now, isn't it amazing that when Saul got to the right place, what was the place? A street called Straight. There you're going to find Ananias. Right place before right people. When you get there, the right people will take care of your needs. And what was his needs? He needed to be fed. He needed to be water baptized. He needed to be filled with the Spirit, and then he received his vision. He got his basic needs met by the right people. And when the right people are in your life, the needs that you have will be met. Not the luxuries, but the needs that you have will be met. And since this is Pentecost Sunday, let me just, just throw this in for free, okay? I'm just giving you something for free. Is that all right? I'm going to give you some more mashed potatoes. I'm just going to give you an extra side here. Is that all right? So right here, Paul, uh, Saul... You find Saul here. He's blind. He's at Ananias' house. And what happens? Ananias says something to him. Brother Saul. Hmm. That tells me that Saul obviously was converted on the ground. When he got to Ananias' house, he had already been saved. Because Ananias refers to him as Brother Saul. And then he, Ananias said, the Lord Jesus appeared to me, or uh, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road as you came and sent me that ye might be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Now look at it. Acts 9 verse 17. That ye might be filled with the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a question. Was Saul saved? Everybody say yes. How do I know he was saved? Because Ananias refers to him as... Okay, and then what happens? Ananias said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road as you came and sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm gonna, don't stop there. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Hold on here. Hold on. Hold on. Back it up. I'm about to shout here. I'm going to give you a glimpse of my sermon for this Sunday morning. There's three baptisms here. The baptism of salvation. You know what that is? Saul was saved. And do you know what the baptism of salvation is? Is when you have been incorporated into the family of God. Baptism number one, Saul was saved. Baptism number two is the baptism of water. He was baptized in water according to verse 18. Number three, he had the third baptism. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is what we refer to as the baptism of fire. Somebody say amen. So the first one he was baptized in the family of God. Number two, he was baptized in water. And number three, he was baptized with the Holy Ghost. Is there anybody up in this Pentecostal church that still believes in the three baptisms? See, Brother Pennington, Brother Pennington, Brother Pennington, I don't need to be water baptized. That's kind of like saying, uh, baby, I want to marry you, but I don't want to wear the ring. Water baptism is an identification issue. You must be baptized. Now, if you grew up in the old church like I did, I was baptized every year. <laughs> Can I hear an amen? I was baptized in Father, Son, Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus. I was dunked three times, water poured on my head. Because, folks, when I grew up in church, I mean, I had to, they stuck me back in the room. I had to watch those left behind videos. My God, I was going to get saved every time I went to church. So hopefully I'll make it in since I've been baptized. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the baptism of family the baptism of family the baptism of water I got my adoption papers to identify I'm a part of the family the baptism of fire because I need to go tell the message that I'm a part of this family and you have the opportunity to join the family because that's what fire does Amen. Isn't it ironic that the tale of two Saul's, the Saul of the Old Testament, he had such a dramatic change that his name was changed to Paul. Because no matter what tension you find yourself in, as long as you stay going in the right direction, He'll change your name where it will fit your identity. You're, you are not who you, you're not what you do. You are who he says you are. And that is why he can change your name. Saul, I'm changing your name to Paul. You used to kill the Christians, but now you're my follower. 
I'm going to give you a name that fits the identity that I've given you. Amen. Did you enjoy the word tonight?